Father, we do thank You so much for what You have done for us through Your Son, Jesus. We thank You so much that You sent Him to die for our sins and He willingly came and paid the full penalty for our sins and died and rose from the dead. We thank You that You loved us so much that You gave Him for us. And Father, I thank You that our future is so wonderful and that we can so and do so look forward to seeing You, Lord, and seeing Your Son, Jesus. We know that the pure in heart because of Christ will see God. We know we will be with You forever. And we thank You so much for that. And Lord, I thank You that Your ways are perfect. They're right. They're just. And even though we have a tremendous future, we have a wonderful present even in the midst of difficult times. We know that You take these things that a man means for evil and You turn them for good. And so we trust You to use us during this time of evil, the day of evil, so that You would be glorified forever and ever. So thank You for Your Word. I pray You'll help us understand what You have declared will happen in the future and that we will see it rightly and apply it rightly to our hearts so that You will be greatly glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, obviously, as I prayed, we're going to be talking about end-time events as we move on in our study of Second Thessalonians. And I believe we're going to see how we can keep from being discouraged when suffering. You see, when you're suffering for Christ, there are all kinds of difficulties that can come upon us that can shake us up or throw us off. And one of those is even false teaching concerning the things of God. It can distract us. It can pull us away from what God has really said and cause us to be shaken up or troubled. And God is a gracious God. He doesn't want anyone to be taken captive by false teaching. We see that in Scripture. Now, as we come to 2 Thessalonians, we're going to see that we must heed God's warnings concerning false teaching and teachers. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 5. And the context for this book is pretty much the same context we had for 1 Thessalonians because the two letters were written very close to one another. And as you know, when we studied 1 Thessalonians, in Acts chapter 17, we have the account of the salvation and conversion of the Thessalonians, the birth of the church at Thessalonica. And we know that Paul remained there at least three weeks and taught them a ton of truth. And he even refers to that later on in our book here and also in 1 Thessalonians. And the Jews of the city were so enraged about the teaching concerning Jesus, they created a riot and Paul fled to Berea and then on to Athens. Now in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we have the account of the conversion of the Thessalonians. How they turned to God from idols to wait for His Son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now remember that. We're going to talk about that today. And they also received the Word of God. They didn't receive it as the Word of men. And non-believers think it's man's Word. But believers who've been saved and changed by the Spirit of God receive it not as the Word of men, but the Word of God. Or those who are being convicted and saved as the Word of God which performs its work in you who believe. And then the Apostle Paul, after sending Timothy to find out about their spiritual condition in response in Corinth, as he's staying there for 18 months, writes 1 Thessalonians, and we see that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are still together, which means it's during that same time in Corinth that he writes 2 Thessalonians. And it's thought that 2 Thessalonians is written very soon after 1 Thessalonians. Now we need to remember this group of believers are very young in their faith, probably less than a year old in the faith, and yet Paul, inspired by the Spirit, launches into serious teaching and doctrine because we all can understand those things if we have not become dulled by sin or have hardened hearts. And we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, and that happens through His Word. And so they're young in the faith. But what was going on to prompt this letter to be written so quickly to these Thessalonians after the first letter? Well, as we saw in chapter 1, they were afflicted for following Jesus Christ. They were afflicted. They were suffering greatly. And God made it clear that He would bring about, as they endured, it was an evidence they were His, but He would bring about ultimately the punishment of those who were afflicting them and relief for those 
who were afflicted. They were enduring and suffering. They were going through difficult times. And we saw even last week that because our suffering's temporal, Paul wanted to continue to encourage them and gave them a tremendous encouragement as he prayed that the Lord would cause them and us to live up to our great calling. And that every desire for goodness that we have in Christ would be fulfilled. And that our faith for him would work out powerfully in these situations so that Christ would be glorified all by his grace. And then we come to chapter 2 where we see another element of why he wrote the book. There was obviously some bad guys trying to put out some counterfeit falsehoods claiming to be truths, claiming to be God's word. And so that's where we come today where we're going to see how we can keep from being discouraged or shaken up from false teaching that portrays itself to be right, but it really isn't from God. Turn your Bibles again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5, and we're really going to be focusing on 1 and 2 and part of 3, and 3 and 4 and 5. We're going to really hit a lot stronger next time because there's a lot here. So we're going to touch on that portion but I want to read the entire chapter because it's all together and we need to see it all together. Otherwise, we can misinterpret the small pieces we look at. And when we study Scripture, you never want to just study a small piece without always going in and out looking at the broader context. So I want to read this for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember while I was still with you? Now they're only a year old in the faith, saying, hey, I was with you three weeks, I was telling you this stuff. Do you not remember I was telling you while I was still with you? I was telling you these things? That's as far as we're going to get today. Obviously you can see there's a lot there. But let's keep reading. And do you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring it to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish. Because, and this is important, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important, this part now. So then, this is we'll look at this also. So then, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught whether by word or of mouth or letter from us. It's important. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. This is a comforting passage, even though it deals with reality. You know, denial is not comforting at all. Knowing the truth and having a God who shares it in the context of what He is doing is encouraging. Now, if you're following Christ, you're going to enter in at some time suffering, and we want relief, and we do look forward to that ultimate relief we will have when we are with Christ. We know that. We know it's only for a season when we suffer for Christ. 
Yet, think about it. How would you feel if Bible teachers came to tell you and, you know, snuck in, hey, Christ is not coming for you. You're going to have to go through the tribulation. You're going to have to go through this horrible judgment. You're going to have to go through this. And maybe you're even going through it now. Things are so tough. Well, that was the situation that was going on with these Thessalonians, but they were suffering much greater than we are suffering. You see, they were awaiting Christ to deliver them from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. They were told that they were not destined for wrath. First Thessalonians 5, verse 9. They were eagerly awaiting the reunion with Christ in the sky. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And now it looks like Paul wants to protect them from those who might falsely relay a message as from him that the day of the Lord has actually already come or in the presence. And that's what this passage is about. Now you say, I understand the Thessalonians that they're suffering and the threat at that time. And, you know, yes, I understand how they could get shaken up over that. They have their hope fully in Christ. And then someone says, hey, you missed it. The day the Lord's here, he's not coming for you. You're in the tribulation. I understand they could be shaken up with that. But for us, how does it apply to us? Well, the reality is, you may be aware of current trends in churches these days. The evangelical church or form type churches and now starting to infiltrate good Baptist churches. You see, there's a reformed theology out there and it's growing in popularity which is actually not reformed at all concerning eschatology, which means end times. It's basically the same Catholic end times eschatology before the Reformation brought forward. It didn't get reformed. And so from that, it's a theology that eliminates what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and John 14. It eliminates the rapture. It eliminates Christ coming for his church. And that's kind of disturbing if you look through it because he's going to come in the context of judgment. And that's what we're waiting for? No, the reality is we're waiting for Christ to deliver us first. And there are bad people out there that may have a sound doctrine, but they're either deceived brethren or false teachers laying forth these things that mess up people. Now, given the church response isn't to be shaken up like the Thessalonians, the other response that we see of evil to these false doctrines is pride. Spiritual pride in those type of doctrines that we see. So it's dangerous no matter what. It's dangerous. False teaching is dangerous no matter what the response of those who enter into it and allow it to permeate their hearts, as we will see. So what are we to do? What are we to do as believers? Well, we need to heed the warnings, just like the Thessalonians needed to. And that will keep us from being discouraged by false teachers and teaching. Keep us from falling into that, being kidnapped by theology that is not correct. And I've seen it. I'll tell you with this end time stuff. I see people who are totally kidnapped by Reformed theology. That's all they talk about. That's all they're connected to. It's not about Christ anymore. It's about all the things that go on in their little theological box. Folks, it's not good. So what are we to do? We're to not let false teachers and deceived brethren so quickly shake us up. Notice Paul begs these Thessalonians to not be easily shaken or frightened. Look at here, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, it's really important that we understand what's being said here or those same false teachers could manipulate us even with this passage. It's really important. Notice he is beginning by making a request. We request of you. And he says, we request of you with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. This request is an entreaty. It is entreating someone to do something. Please do this, please. Now we request, and he says, brethren, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, later on, he's going to say, our Lord Jesus. He combines the reality. That's, they're saved. They're in Christ. 
You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, you enter into the family of God. You become a child of God. And what a wonderful thing it is. 1 John 3, 1. See how great the love of the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. And he's saying, Thessalonian brethren, he's saying, hey, I request of you, brethren, we request of you. Now, what's the request? Because we need to break this down really carefully and understand it rightly, or we could be manipulated by those who take difficult passages and twist them to their own destruction. He says, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering to him, that, here's the request, we request you, brethren, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. The request is that you don't get shaken up quickly from your composure or be disturbed. That's the request, but there's context around it. We request that you don't get shaken up literally in mind. And the word shaken there actually comes from a word that's used in other places to speak of an earthquake. Just shaken up, an earthquake. Acts chapter 16, an earthquake there it has. So I'll show that later. Speaking of being shaken up, and it's shaken up in mind, and they've translated it in your composure. And the word here, disturbed, literally means troubled or frightened. We request that you don't so quickly let this happen to you. That's the request. Don't let it happen to you. Don't let your mind go the wrong direction. And we're going to see based on falsehood. You see, we can let our minds go the wrong direction in all kinds of ways, can't we? You bet we can. And when you want to follow the Lord, you want to hear his word. And this is an interesting time because the word of God hadn't been complete. So as we saw in First Thessalonians, there were prophetic utterances. There were the apostles and prophets bringing forth the word of God by mouth. And then there was also the writings that they wrote from the Old Testament and then the apostles from the New Testament that we have. And yet there were false apostles out there, false teachers out there, false prophets out there. So the request proper is don't get shaken up so quickly in your mind, and troubled or frightened. But what is this regarding? What's this regarding? This is really important. Now we request you, brethren, with regard. Here's what it's regarding. With regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now in Greek, those sentences go together. It's not two different things. It's one thing described in two ways. You can't say it's one and two. It's one unit in Greek described in two ways. So he says here, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now the phrase Lord Jesus Christ is used nine times in this short book along with the term Lord Jesus many times, over 20 total, I think, for all of it. Now the term Lord speaks of deity. It's Jesus is the Lord. And the term Jesus is his human name, God the Son took on human flesh. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Yeshua, the Lord, saves. Yahweh, that's what that means. Yahweh saves. Yeshua. And then the term Christ speaks of the anointed one, or the Messiah. He is the anointed king who came to suffer first and then for his glories afterwards, to die for our sins. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so Paul says, now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So what is he saying? Well, notice just in an observation, our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. He includes himself, Silas and Timothy. They're believers. The Thessalonians are believers. If you have rejected Christ, he is not your Lord, although he is the Lord. But here it's personal, our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. So what is he talking about now? As we look at this first section, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what might this be? There are actually two specific possibilities. And this word coming, parousia, does just mean coming. Now, people have taken it and made it mean one specific thing. But in Greek, it just means coming. And the context determines which coming that is. And so he says here, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering to him. Now, there's two comings that we need to look at in Scripture that we need to identify. Which one could it be? Could it be what we call the rapture of the church, which I'm going to go through briefly in a little bit? 
Or could it be the coming of our Lord, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, folks, in light of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll look at this in a minute, verses 13 to 18, and the phrase, are gathering together to him. That's very important. That helps us identify that this passage is not speaking of the second coming of Christ. We are not gathered together to Jesus at the second coming. He comes to earth, as we'll see, and defeats his enemies and slays them with the sword of his mouth. Okay, But before that, as we'll look in a moment, we are gathered to him together as he comes to deliver us from the wrath to come. So I believe it's speaking of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, as I shared, this term parousia can speak of you know, either coming, the second coming, or the coming of him for us. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm not going to teach through this again. If you want to hear about the rapture and all that stuff, go to that sermon. We spent the entire time on it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. So I'm not going to hit everything. Just going to really briefly walk through what this gathering, the coming of the Lord and gathering of us to him is. Because that's what this is regarding. That's what he says. I request that you'll get shaken up regarding this because someone is saying this. That's what he's saying. Okay, so look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may grieve as the rest who have no hope. He starts out saying, hey, Thessalonians, those people who died, who came to faith, don't grieve about them like the rest of those who have no hope, like people grieve that don't have any hope. You see, the reality was they were new in the faith. They're waiting for Jesus Christ. It's less than a year. And believers within that time had died and they were concerned. They missed the coming of Christ. They missed his gathering together. Where are they? What happened to them? And he says, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happened. And notice he explains. And I'm again, I'm not going to go in detail as I did before. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's the qualification. Do you believe in Jesus Have you applied the work of Christ to your heart by faith? That he died for your sins and rose from the dead. If that's happened, the work of faith by Christ in your heart, he says here, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's the souls of those who have died. You see, if you were to die today, your body would be right there and they would take it and put it somewhere and do something with it whether it's to be put in the grave or whatever it is. But your soul goes to be with the Lord if you're a believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so the bodies went in the grave, and they were concerned what happened. They missed Christ's coming, but their spirits went to be with Jesus. And he's saying, don't worry about that, because they're going to come with him. They're going to come with him, but something's going to happen. He says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Verse 15 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, now that's the people who are alive when Christ comes, and remain until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep, or those who have died. That's what that means. It's a euphemism. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So he's coming with their souls. They've been with him. And their bodies are resurrected when he comes. And in the air, they're glorified forever and ever. And then those who are alive and remain, notice what he says, alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. The Lord in this coming is not coming to earth and planting his feet. He is coming to the clouds and we are being grasped up and bodies are being resurrected and going up and meeting those souls. And if we haven't died, we're being glorified or be changed, First Corinthians 15. And we meet them and the Lord in the air. In the air. And that word grabbed up or whatever, let's see what it says here. Caught up together, it's the Greek word harpazo, which means to be forcibly grabbed. It could even be translated in a negative sense, kidnapped. The Lord is going to grab us out of here. Isn't that great? And, you know, in the Latin translation, we get the word raptura. That's where we get our word rapture. So you might say to one of those people that deny the truth of the word of God, well, I believe in rapture. Well, rapture is not in the Bible. Well, no, the word isn't. 
But the word harpazo is, which is then translated in Latin, raptura, and that's where we get our term rapture. So then, we have this tremendous event where those who have passed away are with Christ, and he comes, and they will be raised first, glorified with their resurrection bodies, and we who are alive and remain, 1 Corinthians 15, will be changed, glorified, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We will be with him forever, therefore comfort one another with these words. That's our gathering together to him. And they were looking forward to it. Because that event assured they were not going to go through the wrath to come. That event assured that God would not pour out his wrath on his people. He would pour out his wrath on those who have rejected him. So we have that. And even in John 14, look at John 14. The Lord Jesus relays this also. It's all throughout Scripture. When people say it isn't there, they're just lying. They're lying. Now, they may be believers, but they are deceived and they are lying. And when someone teaches you something that's wrong, you need to stay away from those teachers. And that's why I can't go near Reformed theology. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. That's up in heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, you know, I'm going away. Don't be troubled. He says here, if I were not so, I would not have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Where's that place? In heaven, right? Not on earth, but in heaven. He says, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's going to come. We're going to be gathered up to him. And he's going to take us to the place that he has prepared. That's what this is talking about. That's what these Thessalonians understood and knew. And he says, with regard to the coming of our Lord and his gathering of us together. That's the rapture. That's what he's talking about. And that delivers us ultimately from the wrath to come. It's not speaking of the second coming where Christ comes and plants his feet on earth, stays, defeats his enemies, and then goes into his millennial kingdom. We are going to be delivered from the wrath to come at a place where he is prepared for us. And that's encouraging, especially if you're suffering greatly. We have not suffered greatly, but they were suffering greatly. Chapter 1, we saw that. And they were waiting for Jesus who delivers them from the wrath to come, First Thessalonians 1.10. And they knew, First Thessalonians 5.9, that God had not destined them for wrath, but salvation. But yet, as we're going to see, someone was coming along and saying, the day of the Lord has come, you're in it. Well, what's the logical conclusion of that? Then you missed our gathering to him. That's what it is. He's going to say, hey, then the way this works is that he's going to say, well, here it couldn't have happened because these things have to happen first. And he's going to explain about that. So people say, oh, he's talking about the second coming and the Antichrist. He's explaining about how that's not here yet. That's what he's explaining, which means you didn't miss the gathering together to him. So then, back in our passage, now we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord and our gathering together to him. That's the rapture being delivered before. It says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. That's ultimately what their quest is about, that they wouldn't be shaken or disturbed. You wouldn't be shaken or disturbed. And why? He says here, either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect, the day of the Lord has come. That would be a shakeup. You're waiting for him to gather you together. You've been comforted. You're going to be reunited with your families. You're going to be at the Lord forever. And all of a sudden someone says, no, no, you're in the day of the Lord. And you know the order of things. You're going, no, this is troubling. This is not good. You see, they were focused on Christ coming much more than we were. Even so, some had quit their jobs even. They were very focused on Christ. Okay, And so false teachers came along and twisted that focus, as we're going to see, to disturb them. So notice he says, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now we need to understand what the day of the Lord is, because if you have the church taken away and then the day of the Lord, if the day of the Lord has come, then that means this didn't happen. You see? So we've got to understand what the day of the Lord is. So then what is the day of the Lord? Well, simply put, the day of the Lord is God's direct judgment upon the world. 
It is Yahweh's day, the Lord's day. You see, man is having his day right now. Man is getting away with sin left and right, and God's patient and willing to neither perish. But there's a day when they will not get away with it anymore, where God will directly intervene with his wrath. Now, he has some other purposes, such as purging Israel to save them. But the day of the Lord is Yahweh's day, bringing wrath upon those who have rejected him. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, 2 Peter is going to talk about Jewish mockers that say, hey, where's the promise of his coming? But Peter's going to use that as an occasion to share God's word is faithful and God is patient. He's not willing for any to perish, but that day will come. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. That's what's really going on. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, knows they're Jewish. Fathers fell asleep. All continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. It's all just going on and on. Nothing has changed. Where is it? Now notice what he says here, verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He's saying it escapes their notice when God said something, he did it, like create the universe. You know, So when he says something, it's going to happen. It escapes their notice, right? They're claiming to be Jews. They believe supposedly in the beginning God created, but it escapes their notice. But verse 7, But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment. And notice this, destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that what the Lord one day is as, not equal to, but as, a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is delaying, in a sense. He has not come yet for judgment. There is a judgment day. It is God's direct judgment here on the earth, the day of the Lord. And notice even verse 10 of chapter 3 of Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with the roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. God is angry at sin. So angry He's going to do this, but there is an out for mankind if you're willing to humble yourself and admit your pride and sinfulness. It's Jesus Christ who died for your sins. You've got to repent. You've got to change your mind and turn to Christ. Turn to Christ from your sin. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 13 because we have the day of the Lord. Now what's interesting, in the Old Testament, we don't see the rapture, the coming of the Lord because that's a church thing. The church was a mystery, Paul says, that was revealed after the Jews had rejected Christ. And so we do see in the Old Testament the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord. We see that. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt and they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. And he will exterminate its sinners from it. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's the day of the Lord. He says here, For the stars of heaven and the constellations will not flash their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus... I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. People say, why does God allow so much evil? Well, if he didn't allow it right now, no one would get saved. He would have to pour his wrath like this right now. But instead, he is patient, not willing for any to perish. So he allows evil and even turns it for good while he is saving people from their wickedness to be delivered unto Christ. Look at Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah. Now, if you knew these scriptures, you'd be going, wow, has this come upon us? Paul said so. There was a letter from him. We missed the rapture. And this is happening now? 
That's what's going on with us? <gasps> Shaken up, right? That's what was happening. But that's not the truth. False teachers were doing that. Zephaniah 1.14, near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out for battle. A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. And I will bring distress upon men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood will be poured out like dust. Their flesh will be like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. That's the day of the Lord. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, even a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, we're going to be delivered from that. We're going to be delivered. But there were bad guys saying, hey, you've entered into that Thessalonians, and they were shaken up. You missed the gathering. You're in this. You're in the day of the Lord. That's what this is. And Paul says, hey, I need to straighten this out so you guys don't get shaken up. Jesus speaks about it in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. Let me share from the book of Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 24. For just as lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to another part, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But he first must suffer many things and then be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came upon and destroyed them all. It was the same and happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. It's the day of the Lord. You see, the reality is there's a day of the Lord. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now as to times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will come. See, Paul had told them and they knew it. Okay, it will come just as a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And these Thessalonians thinking, we're going to go through that? God promised us we weren't. But now the Word's saying we are. That we're in it right now. Folks, the reality is God is very upset at sin. He's upset at sin. So upset that He had His own Son die for our sins. So you're not going to get away with anything. Your arrogance and pride, your wickedness, your unbelief, you're not going to get away with it. But God is patient. He's patient, but those who reject him, he's going to pour out his wrath. And then also on this world, there will be a day when he pours out his wrath and takes back what is his. You see, God is patient, but that day will come. It hasn't come yet. He is unwilling that any should perish. So repent of your sin before it's too late. God is calling upon all men everywhere that they should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world through the man, Jesus, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. So how does the day of the Lord fit into end times? And I gave you another outline there with your outline. If you didn't get one, you can pick one up on the way out. It's next to the outlines. I'm going to just briefly share an end times overview so you can see where these pieces fit together because we're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. So I just want to share this briefly, and then we'll close out with what's left in our passage, okay? So then, the first thing on God's prophetic clock is what we have already read about, our gathering together to Him, where believers are raptured up to be with the Lord. This is the event I shared about, where the spirits of those who are dead in Christ are reunited with their bodies, they're resurrected, and we who are alive and remain will be changed, and we will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with Him forever. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, and John 14, as I've read those latter two passages already. Now, I believe during this time, while we are in heaven, the church in heaven, 
we were judged for our works done in the body. That's the Bema Seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 10. Not for sin, but judged for reward or lack of reward. Romans 14, 10 through 12, every tongue will give an account, even believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to give an account. Those three passages reveal that. But I believe at this time also we will be experiencing the marriage of the Lamb. Not the marriage supper, but the marriage of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 7 through 9, where the bride is with the husband. It's that picture. You know, in a Jewish marriage, the bride gets ready, 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 and the husband can come any time, but they don't know. And all of a sudden, the announcement, the husband's coming, da-da! You know, that's what's going to happen when he comes for us. What a glorious time in heaven we will experience with Christ but the events on earth at this time will be much different. You see, because we will see at this point, God's plan goes back to Israel in Daniel's 70th week. It's the last seven years. And we'll talk about Daniel next time. It's where we're going to have a tribulation, a tribulation that the world has never seen. The first three and a half years of tribulation, the second three and a half, the great tribulation. You can look at it in Matthew 24. You can see it in Daniel chapter 9. It's a seven-year tribulation which begins with a covenant being made by the Antichrist. And then that covenant is broken in the midpoint of the tribulation where he will declare himself to be God. And we're going to see that in our passage. And during this tribulation, it's a time that the world has never seen of tribulation. It's the day of the Lord. And even the Lord said, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would have remained. You don't want to be in the day of the Lord. Now, guess what? If you reject Christ and Christ comes for us today, you go right into that. And guess what? You're going to have a deluding influence and you're not going to come to faith so that you'll be judged. So you better repent now. We're going to see that in our passage. So then, the tribulation is the day of the Lord culminating with Christ coming to take back what is rightfully His. Zephaniah, Isaiah, we read it. Jeremiah 30, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Luke 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 1 and part of 2 here. 2 Peter 3, the day of the Lord. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel 9, Jeremiah 37, Romans 11. The last three and a half years being the great tribulation where God will allow the Antichrist to purge believers. They're going to be purged. There's going to be great suffering at that point, those who come to faith during the tribulation. And two-thirds of Israel will be slaughtered at that point. One-third will remain and be left. Zechariah 13 and 14. And at the end of this seven-year tribulation, Christ will personally come. That's the day of the Lord. He'll personally come, plant his feet on the Mount of Olives. He will come with his saints on that day. And he will battle, as we see in Armageddon. He will destroy his enemies and save all Israel. Ezekiel 34, 36-39, Jeremiah 30, Joel 3, Zechariah 12 and 14, and Romans 11, Revelation 19. At that point, after the tribulation, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. That's the millennium. And we will have the resurrection of the tribulation and Old Testament saints. Daniel 12, 2, Revelation 20, 1 through 4. And then we have the millennial kingdom, Christ's thousand year reign on earth after he has separated the sheep and the goats. And it will be just believers that go into the millennium with all of Israel being saved. And yet people will be born during that time, human beings, and there will be those who actually do not believe, who are born to believers. And Satan will be released for a short time, Revelation chapter 20. And he will deceive the nations. And they will come out to the camp of the saints and fire from heaven will destroy them. And then we see in Revelation 21, there's a new heavens and a new earth because the other one has fled away. What God spoke about in Second Peter, he's going to destroy the present heavens and earth and create a new one. But before that happens, he's going to judge everyone who rejected him, the great white throne judgment. And if your name is not in the Lance Book of Life, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. And the way your name is in the Lance Book of Life is if you overcome. And the way you overcome is through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have the eternal state, Revelation 21 and 22. No more tears, no more sorrow, where Christ makes all things new. New heavens, new earth, where righteousness dwells, where Christ himself will dwell in the midst of his saints forever and ever. That's what we look forward to. So back to our passage, the order would be this gathering together. And then after that happens, then the day of the Lord. And the bad guys are saying, the day of the Lord has come. You missed this. You're going to go into that. You're going to go into this horrible thing. And actually, that's why you're suffering so much, because you're in it right now. And so back to our passage now. 
He says, we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together and with regard to the rapture. You think you missed it, but no, you didn't because actually the day of the Lord hasn't come. And I'll prove it to you. He's going to share. He says that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure, disturbed by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect the day of the Lord has come. Shaken up, quickly shaken up. Don't let that happen. Don't be frightened or terrified, even the word could be translated. Don't let that happen. You're going under terrible persecution. You can look back in chapter 1. You see it. I'm not going to read it for you. You can see it there, verse 4 and 6. They're persecuted greatly. They were suffering. And Paul wants to protect them from the false view that many churches hold to today. Can you believe that? That the church is not going to be taken up and that we go right into the day of the Lord and then Christ comes. Not true. It would shake you up and frighten you. It says, don't let that happen to you so quickly. Don't let that happen. And notice he says how this message would come, either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, this is the end of two, to the effect the day the Lord has come. It could come by a spirit. I believe he's speaking here of a prophetic utterance, like we see back in chapter 1, verse 15, but a false prophetic utterance. Those who would claim to be speaking from the Spirit of God. Thus says the Lord. The day of the Lord has come, or whatever they might say, you know. Don't be deceived. Don't listen to that, he's saying. Don't listen to that. Or a message. The word message means literally word. Now, before I get to that, the Spirit part, I forgot to share this, but in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether it's from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he'll go on to say, you can know who's of the Lord and of not by if they listen to the apostles or not. You can know that. Okay, so he says here, then a message. That's the word logos, just means word. Somebody came along and said, hey, Paul said, I heard him. He said, the day of the Lord's already here. Someone just shared it by word. Or the most deceitful way here, by a letter as if from us. That's a counterfeit letter, counterfeit epistle that is from Paul, a very, very evil. He says, don't be disturbed if this comes. It says something to the effect, the day of the Lord has come. Don't let it disturb you. A counterfeit epistle. You see, Satan is a counterfeiter. He's not the pitchfork guy out there with all the demonic stuff. The foolish people in their outright wicked demonic stuff, he's already got them. But the reality is he is a deceiver. He portrays himself to be an angel of light. That's how he functions. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the most dangerous way that he functions. 2 Corinthians 11, and he does it through people. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13 For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers are workers of deceit, literally, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's what they do. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not the pitchfork guy or the outright wicked demonic stuff. It's disguising. That's his most effective way to do it. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So you got either a spirit, probably a prophetic utterance, a message, a false one, by the way, a false message, or a counterfeit letter. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't fall for it. And he's going to say in the context of the larger passage, hold to the truth we've already shared with you. Hold to that. That's what protects us from false teaching. Hold to the truth you've learned in Scripture. Hold to the truth. Notice verse 5, and we're going to touch on this because we're almost running out of time. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Hold to what I told you, rather than being taken captive and disturbed by these false messages or a false letter. Look at verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm. Hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth, or by letter, what? From us, the apostles. 
We have the completed word, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets brought it forth. It's complete. Hold to this. Don't let anyone deceive you. Look at verse 3. He strengthens his request. Let no one in any way deceive you. Don't be so easily shaken up. Don't be frightened by a false message that contradicts the truth you already know about our gathering to him. Don't be shaken up by that. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Hey, two things have to happen, and they haven't happened. So what they're telling you is false. That's what he's saying. Now this term, let no one deceive you in any way, the word deceive doesn't just speak of being deceived or led astray, plain only being led astray. It actually means being completely seduced, wholly deceived, being fully bought into it. You see that with our forum guides. Wholly deceived, complete deception, seduced wholly. It's the same word that is used in 1 Timothy 2.14 about Eve, who was completely deceived in the garden. She was entirely wholly bought into it. It's the same word that it's what Satan was trying to do to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He's trying to wholly deceive them. Let no one, and then notice this, in any way, there's different manners, different ways it happens. Let no one, in any way, according to any manner, seduce you wholly. Don't let it happen. We're not to allow false teachers to seduce us completely with false or twisted words supposedly from the Lord. We need to allow the word of the Lord from his word to cause us to stand firm, to hold to it, to be equipped. And if you don't know the word of God, you're going to be tossed all over the place by false teaching. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, some people know the word of God, but in their pride they get tossed because they're not depending on Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. That's the truth we believe in in the context of Christ and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Be mature through the Word of God, being equipped. Pastors, teachers, okay? As a result... We are no longer to be like children tossed here and there by waves. See this all throughout church. Carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men by craftiness in deceitful scheming. If you're sold in the word, you're not going to be taken captive by that, right? But we are to speak in the truth and love, grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We see this in Colossians chapter 2. Don't be taken captive by worldly philosophies. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How'd you receive him? By faith, right? Having been firmly rooted, now being built up and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive, kidnaps you through philosophy, Empty decession according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary ABC, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Colossians 2. There are bad guys out there. Don't let them take you captive. By human reasoning, human philosophy, whatever it might be, don't let it happen. Tradition of men, don't let it happen. Hold to the Word of God. Examine everything. We saw this back in 1 Thessalonians 5. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Hebrews chapter 5. Those who were dull of hearing had become dull because they hadn't had their senses trained to discern good and evil through the Word of God. Have your senses trained? Someone says something, you go, no, 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 this is what God's Word says. They have a very convincing argument for it, but you look at the Word of God and go, nope, this is what God's Word says. Hold forth to the traditions we have and the words that Paul gave forth as he says. Don't go there. Let no one deceive you in any manner, in any way. Don't go there. Now specifically, he's referring to the day of the Lord. And that's the issue that they were being deceived about or was trying to. 
He's gonna, I'm just going to read through this quickly and we will look at it more closely next time, okay? Let no one deceive you in any way, for it, that's the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself to be God. Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Don't you remember, guys? He's saying, and we'll look at this more closely next week, the day of the Lord can't be here because two things have to happen with another associated thing. One, the apostasy has to come first. We'll talk about that in a second. And the second thing is the man of lawlessness is to be revealed. And for that to happen, this third related thing, verses 6 to 7, the restrainer must be taken out of the way. And I believe that's the church being taken out of the way by the Spirit of God within them. Those are the things that have to happen. Don't let them deceive you. Remember, I was telling you this before, he says. Now, as we finish up, the apostasy here speaks of a falling away or a defection. And it's not just apostasy. There are those who apostatize, those who turn away from Christ, those who turn away, they apostatize. Second Timothy chapter 3 clearly says, hey, this is going to happen. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Hey, that sounds like what we see on TV these days, right? He says, lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. That's apostasy. They've turned, but they say they believe, but they've turned. But this is a wholesale apostasy. He's talking about the apostasy. A wholesale turning of the world completely in a sense. Completely. Every religious organization that's there at that time is going to turn away. A wholesale apostasy. The apostasy. The day of the Lord can't come until the whole world is turned. The apostasy has come. That prepares the ground for the Antichrist to deceive them and for them to go to their judgment. Jesus talked about this in relationship to the Jews and their apostasy, not ever the whole world, but the Jews. So remember that, Matthew 24. And at that time, many will fall away and deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. It's going to happen at that time. Yes, we see apostasy today, but it's going to be a wholesale turning away, preparing for the Antichrist to be revealed. That has to happen first. And these things, he's saying, it hasn't happened yet. So you're being lied to. You're being deceived. Don't buy into it. So what's the important part for us for today? Hold to the Word of God. Hold to the truth. Be equipped. Don't be tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. Boy, you listen to Christian Ray these days, you know, those family shows, they're terrible. They're everything that takes you captive. Hold to the Word of God instead. Run away from that stuff. Run away. Run away from theology that is not in line with the truth of God. Run away from it. Trust Jesus Christ. Rely on Him. Trust in Him wholeheartedly. Believe what He has said and He'll protect your heart. They'll protect you from the temptations and the dangers of these who would want to shake you up and terrify you. That's what Satan wants to do. We need to take heart. The reality is, although there's false teaching in the church, that the Lord doesn't want us to fall to it. We need to take heart. We need to listen to the message. Don't let it happen to you. Watch what you listen to. Watch what you pay attention to. Just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean it's from the Lord. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is true. Now, there are people who are caught up in bad doctrine. doesn't mean we go out and zap them with our hearts and thoughts. We pray that God would set them free and God might open a door for us to share the truth that they would be set free having been held captive to do Satan's will. We're not quarrelsome, but we're able to teach patient when wronged. So then, we've talked a lot about what was to happen for us and what wasn't going to happen for the Thessalonians. The reality that Christ is coming for us. We're going to be gathered together. Our future is wonderful in Christ. 
Yes, we're suffering. Yes, this world looks horrible right now, politically, whatever it might be. But trust the Lord and look forward to Him. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, and serve Him until He comes. And praise Him that you're not going to go through His wrath. But maybe there's some of you here that will go through His wrath, whether you die and stand before Him and are judged for your sins, or whether you actually go into this time. That would be very interesting if the Lord came and you're not saved because you would go into this tomorrow if that happened. Repent before it's too late. God is patient, not only for any to perish, but the day of the Lord will come. But we believers will be delivered from that wrath before it comes. Dear Lord, thank You for Your Word. And I thank You that You want us to know these things. You don't want us to be shaken up. You don't want us to be frightened. You want us to trust You and fear You and rejoice in Your Son. And Lord, help us to not be taken captive by things that are sounding biblical but are not. Help us to know Your Word so that we would be not tossed to and fro. Help us not to be prideful but dependent. That we would rely on Christ as we have received Your Son, Jesus Christ, so may we walk in Him by faith. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.